There's no system. And th this is a desperate thought for people. We mean there's no system. And I said, <clears throat> you're kind of on your own. Uh, yeah, but I need to be saved. And, uh, <laughs> what if we paid teachers on two different bases? One would be on value production, meaning they actually receive royalties on the productivity and value they create in students so they could get a long chain of royalties on creating effective students and attract the best teachers in the world to become the greatest teachers in the world. I say complete consistency today of uh, your basic education that served you well uh, throughout, throughout your life. Keep freeing yourself up from other people's systems. Oh, that is the best system of all. That's the, the greatest system of all. <laughs>
I think uh, uh, teachers unions protect the worst and we have a failed education system, certainly in the United States. And our college system creates um, what I would say are slaves through the banking system and through the system. And if I've heard before that the majority of all expenses in colleges now are in administrations and bureaucracies, not in the education. And I live in, believe in peer research for peer research search's sake. So what if, what if we paid teachers on two different bases? One would be on value production, meaning they actually received royalties on the productivity and value they create in students. So they could get a long chain of royalties on creating effective students and attract the best teachers in the world to become the greatest teachers in the world. Um, now, the exception to that is social responsibility. So if you're working with difficult children or special needs children, I think there should be a mercy bonus as well, because I think that creates for a strong society, a strong moral sort of base. Sort like hazardous duty pay. Very, yeah, precisely. It's sort of like, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like providing a, a multiplier for their heart. Um, so in, a, in an example of this is, not long ago, I spoke on uh, stage at a Dave Asprey event, and um, I always call out to the audience, and I ask to bring someone on, and I do a hot seat with them, and now we've been using AI, and I'll basically use tr generative AI to solve a big business problem or create an app on the fly or create whatever in 10 minutes. And in this case, I said, is there someone here who wants to create and launch a business? And Dave said, call on Alan, his 14-year-old son. So his gangly son walks up on stage and I say, Alan, what would you like to create or do? And he says, well, I want to create a business and it'll be a, a gaming PC gaming computer. And I'm like, well, how are you going to make it different? And he said, well, I want to make a 3D printed head case. The first one will be of my dad, but you could order a custom head case. And I go, well, let's create the business now. So we typed up some commands and, and built a website right before the audience and created the specifications and then started writing a book. And you could see he got all lit up and um, he said, what would it take to publish? And I just said, you can do this, you can do this, and you can do this. Well, within 48 hours of walking off that stage, he'd already written 50 pages of his book and less than two weeks later, it was launched. But before that happened, after we built this and you could see the excitement, I said, that is the future of entrepreneurship. What you just witnessed there is imagine being able to help young people, 12 or 13 or 14, create and launch their first businesses, become multimillionaires before they're of age so they could go to college because they want to learn more. Maybe they want to participate in peer research instead of believing the illusion that they're going to get a job, which is not true because the amount of garbage that's taught in these organizations that has no value but also they'd never walk away indentured servants trying to pay off student loans for the rest of their lives. And of course the audience went nuts for that. They loved it. But I, I truly believe it because I think right now the idea of being a mentor and being an apprentice is what our country, our world needs is to create more entrepreneurs who learn at an early age on the basis of creating value and being rewarded for it. So there you mm -hmm. go. That's the uh, that's my pitch to see. Uh, and what I want to ask you is, first of all, your thoughts on that. But then secondly, I want to ask you the Dan Sullivan question about projecting 
into the future of education 10 and 20 years from now? Yeah, well, uh, my way of looking at it is that when you have a shift in the economy, um, whatever educational system was in place for the previous economy um, <clears throat> is already being bypassed. Okay. Mm -hmm. And my sense is that it's always the entrepreneurial class that creates the educational system, not not uh, necessarily for society. They just create it for themselves personally, and then they do it for like-minded people who are like them, and they communicate, and they create <laughs> a whole new curriculum that just bypasses the existing um, <clears throat> you know, the existing system. So my feeling is that near the end of uh, um, <clears throat> uh, one economic system, which has been essentially the last 40 years, um, you know, since um, probably, you know, since the first um, personal computers arrived on the scene in the late 70 Commodore and, you know, all that, that ind individuals, uh, mostly young people, were already taking that personal computer and they were essentially creating uh, a new learning system for themselves. I won't call it an educational system, but it's a new, new learning system, mm -hmm. okay? And I, I, picked the, um, <clears throat> I picked the 70s because the previous educational system came in, in the United States anyway, formal education came in the 1840s and 1830s was when the we were switching from a agricultural system to an industrial system. Mm -hmm. Okay, And up until that point, uh, there had been no formal education system. Like there wasn't uh, a system. There wasn't a system. There, there were church schools. There were uh, small town schools. And uh, usually it only got you till about uh, 13 or 14 years old when most people started being workers, you know. Yep. And and um, and uh, so that the U.S. system started in Massachusetts. It was the first state that had a formal educational system. The guy who designed it was a guy named Horace Mann, mm -hmm. and then he um, uh, he caught on as a you know as a thought leader here, and the other states started uh, looking at the Massachusetts model, and they started to. So it went across the country, you know, and all the states weren't there yet in the 1830s and 1840s, maybe about half the states um, were there. So you had the whole, everything west of the Mississippi wasn't, they weren't really states. They weren't really states yet. They were mm. territories. And, um, you know, you, you basically learn from your parents. You learn from adults who were around you, but there wasn't anything formal about it. And um, and so it took about 40 years before the the um, primary school uh, it was just primary school first. And then around the end of the um, 1800s, you started to have high school, you know, now the Catholic school was always there. And this is one of the big worries because the um, the. Catholics uh, schools came in and you always had parish schools right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I mean, from the moment the Catholics arrived, they had their own schools and it was to raise kids to be Catholics. Yep. And then, you know, 
probably they say now it was a great worry on the part of the anti-Catholic, especially the anti-Catholic. Uh, you know, the, the Canada is a Catholic country more more than the uh, half the population um, is Catholic from a religious standpoint. I didn't but know in the United that. States. In the United States, it was always a minority. And a lot of the rebellion on the part of people was to get, I mean, first of all, it starts with the Protestant Reformation is to eliminate the power and the influence of the Catholic Church. So um, in the U.S., there was always this anti-Catholic, which actually just strengthened the Catholic community. Yeah, they of course. knew they were. Yeah, really, Nothing I mean, better than an enemy to make I, us I mean, all stronger. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, um, but, you know, it was a big deal when Kennedy got elected president. He was the first Catholic president. And yep. uh, there was a lot of suspicion. He had to prove that he wasn't going to be, be taking orders from the Vatican and everything like that. Yeah. So that, that system really persisted. And um, basically what it was is we were going to teach children uh, how to put up with boredom for their industrial their industrial work lives, you know. And I remember first grade, Sister Mary um, Josephia, that was my first grade teacher, none. And she said, the reason why what you're going to learn this year and the next 11 years after this uh, 12, 12th grade um, is that you're going to learn everything you need to go out into the world because we're going to show you exactly how you have to perform and how you have to conform in order to make a life after uh, your 12th grade. Mm. And you know, it was a very accurate prediction, you know? And you tell me the first grade teacher today that can predict what life is gonna be like 12 years from now. Wow. And it isn't anything that the teachers are experiencing, I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. So. I think you're really on to something, but my feeling is um, all systems start failing near the end of a um, fundamental change in the economy and um, starting with personal computers, starting with um, software, starting with the internet, starting with um, um, apps, you Mm -hmm. know, like uh, having lots of apps and then um, probably the iPhone. And I think now, uh, artificial intelligence, you got about six pl- planks where more and more children, when they come to school, uh, they treat it like it's storage for five hours when they're not expected to think, they're not expected to learn anything. Right. But before they got to school, they were involved with their technology. And at f- three o'clock, they get to go out. Now they get to go back to the real educational system. Yes. Well, there's, um, I'm going to plus what you just said, because here's what I I believe is going to happen is. And all you did is prove it on stage. Yeah, that that and um, if and you, plus your son, your son created the Peter Diamandis and Tony Robbins discussion. How long did it take him? Was it a day? It was they, four hours. So I gave him a big deadline. So he started about 10 at night and he had it done at two in the morning. Yeah, we um, demonstrated that on a previous podcast. We did. We did. That got, by the way. You did. You that, did. I uh, I sat there and said, wow, that was amazing. I, I got so many great comments from that. And, oh, no, um, it was, and it was actually very humorous. They made yeah. 
Uh, yeah. I don't know if Peter and Tony found it humorous, but it was really fun. I found it very humorous. Yeah. Peter thought it was funny and I actually showed it at a recent, I did a new training for Tony's, uh, some of his, um, his, what he calls his platinum partners, his lions. And uh, it got a lot of, they, they thought oh. it was very good. And there's a, there's an add on to that. So there's two thoughts. One of them is right now, Zach, um, we created a little business forum where he's now creating audiobooks for authors because as you know creating audiobooks is a lot of work you typically if you're not a really good one-off one take speaker you have to fly somewhere go into a studio talk for a couple of days and do stuff over and over and over again it sucks so what we did is built a little ai tool where you sample your voice and then you can import the book and it generates chapters of the book with AI voice. And it sounds really good. Like it's so good. It's pretty much indiscernible and it has, it varies the cadence and the structure. It kind of makes almost micro mistakes. So it's so human. And, um, you know, for like 2,500 bucks, he'll do a whole book where if you have to pay someone and go into a studio, it's, it's days or weeks of time. And it's very expensive. So and it's, it's got awful boring too. Yeah, it's terrible. So anyway, he's already got a lot of people raising their hands saying, will you do this for me? And by the way, you can also do a Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, Hindi, French version of your book and not have to know the language. And it's pretty good. It's like, it's very mm -hmm. passable. Um, so, mm -hmm. but, but moving on, there's one other point I wanted to make, which is I believe precisely what you're saying um about the disruption so historically one of the things that made catholic education work and i'm sure any kind of educational is um and i can't remember what it's called um it's not it's a very catholic -y word about it's learning the basic moral principles it's not catechism it's not um but there's a word for it but it's some fundamental structures about what's right, what's wrong, good and bad, but it's a framework about what you're here for. You're here to serve God and to give glory and whatever that, I can't remember again what it's called, but at my dad's funeral. Um, well, uh, you're preparing for two worlds. You're preparing for your life in this world and then so that you go to the next world. Precisely, exactly. Yeah, so you, no, I mean, uh, I always, we had whole, one of our early podcasts. We I did. Said, uh, I said, uh, the neat thing about, you know, and my bias is toward Christianity because I yeah. certainly, um, um, Christianity is the first religion that promised two lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't remember what that's called, but um, it, it was the way they were taught during the early days of their education. So it turns out that the priest who is doing my dad's funeral also happened to be my principal from high school who married me in my first time as well. So I've got a good probably uh, baptized, probably baptized you too. He, he didn't <laughs> baptize me. That guy's dead, no, no, but, he, he'd be 110. But, or something but like if, that. yeah, if we would have raised Zach as a Christian, um, you know, I married into the, in, into the Jewish thing. And that was my deal I made with my wife is he got my last name and he was raised as a Jew. But he's got well, he was identities. a Jew. He was he was a Jew anyway because the mother's a Jew. That's right. That's right. So in any case, um, he was 
talking about how my dad was raised and what he believed and how this created this great framework and how, you know, part of what made that work, precisely what you're saying, is you have a positive uh, forward-seeking future even in your death. So right oh, yeah. away, you're given certainty. What are you here for to give glory to God? You are an agent, effectively, and that you're going to be rewarded with this afterlife. And so mm -hmm. it's sort of like it takes care of your present day thinking and your future thinking. Oh, no. Which no. that that does not exist now. You know, that's been taken away. And I, you know, you really see like, man, there's a lot of power in providing that framework. And my dad was a very certain man. And he just had, he just made his decisions very quickly. Nope, it's wrong. He like had very, very clear ethical boundaries. There was no mushy. Now, it didn't mean he was right about everything, but he was right most of the time about most things because he just would never cross the line. Now, get more clients, grow your business with better marketing and messaging, make more money and get a better life with more freedom of time, money, relationship, and impact. Learn more about our three-day, one-on-one, done-with-you reinvention workshop. Visit connecttomike.com to book a conversation with me right now. All right, back to the episode. Getting back to the education style, as we move forward, um, here's what I really realized when I was doing this thing and teaching my son AI, and he's doing his business stuff, and then young 14-year-old Alan Asprey, and this whole idea of why you can invent something and make it happen and do it now. We're, we've moved to a point where linear education is not necessary, meaning now you have a companion. You can have this AI companion and in the near future, it'll be something like your phone that listens to everything and knows what's going on and becomes an augmentation. And it doesn't mean- but I think it's already happening. It, it, our phones already are, but the distinction is now it can coach you. So, you know, whether you've got augmented reality glasses and you could be a mechanic or a repairman and you've got every manual for every device ever made at your fingertips and it image recognizes. And basically it's saying, put this here and do this and do this. But you can learn on the job. You can create on the job and add value on the job. But it can also be a creative amplifier as well, a creative mm. capability amplifier. A capability amplifier. You know, there should, be a, there should be a podcast. There should be. This. There should be. <laughs> so getting back mm. to being the mentor and the apprentice, because the systems are going to learn and contribute just as you are. Mm. And um, we can, it certainly can make for slaves, but it can also make for immense immense just the amount of great creative collaboration that this enables and for like a you and i to be able to be on opposite parts of the world and have real-time voice translation you know for scientists to be able to collaborate that cross over any language every any barrier any border which can happen right now it's a little clunky mm -hmm. yet but it's you know it's this far away and um but but um you know the distance between monday and the future is always constant it's actually what's happening on monday that really matters explain that i want i want to understand exact i want to understand exactly what you mean well i told peter uh, we were having a discussion and i said you know um 
one thing about the future, when you get there, it seems normal. Mm. And I yes. think a lot of futurism is a form of secular religion uh, in mm. the sense that people want to be saved by the future. They want all the bad things about society. They want it to think. But I said, there is no future. There's just what everybody is kind of looking forward for the next couple of days. Yeah. That's, that's the actual future. But people say, well, that doesn't matter. It's the future that we have to get to. And I said, well, I've never spent a second in the future and I've never spent a second in the past. I, you know, <laughs> my only experience, I'm pushing 80, I'll be 80 next year. And as far as I can remember, it's all been today. Yeah. You know, I've never, I've never, you know, so Ooh, I just the decided. The power of now, the power of now, I, just, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, uh, we have uh, different ideas about what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like what's happening right now. Um, but the other thing that I, there is no system. I think what's disappeared is systems. There were systems 40 years ago, mm. you know, uh, and the reason is because um, industrialization created systems. They created systems of standardization and, um, you know, uh, you conformed mm -hmm. to, the, to, the system, to the system. Yep. And I would say the moment that you get the first person who gets a personal computer, the system is, there, there are no systems. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, why are you spending the time trying to uh, create uh, uh, a better system when it's impossible to have systems? You have networks, you have networks, mm. you know, you know, and everything. I just don't think system, there's no healthcare system. There's no educational system. There are certain great places where you can get great healthcare, and there are certain places where you can get great education, but that's a function of a specific situation in a specific place. Mm. <laughs> I mean, if I had Mike Koenigs as my dad, that's the system. Mm. There's no system. And th this is a desperate thought for people. We mean there's no system. And I said, <clears throat> you're kind of on your own. Uh, yeah, but I need to be saved. And <laughs> <laughs> Remember, you were sitting at the table. We were at A360. Yep. And the mission commander for NASA put up the new telescope was there, the woman from Arkansas. Yeah. <clears throat> and one of the questions that came to her was, any indication with this new sensing device out there, which is about, you know, it's not 20 times better. It's just almost like infinitely better than the previous telescope. And she says, no, there's no indication whatsoever. There's no, we have a set of criteria that if there's other intelligent life in the universe, uh, there's a checkbox to say, you know, there's a regular, some sort of pattern that's coming mm -hmm. out at, you know, we can sense the structure. So we haven't picked up anything like that. Yeah. So Peter asked the audience, how many of you believe there's a intelligent life uh -huh. elsewhere in the universe? And everybody raised their hand except one person. And uh, he says, is there anyone who doesn't believe there's intelligent life in, in, uh, in the universe? And I said, I, I yeah. don't. So uh, <clears throat> Peter didn't <laughs> dwell on me. And um, and then we uh, had a podcast, and he said, "You raised your hand. You don't believe um, there's 
other intelligence <clears throat> in the universe? And I said, no, I think it's just, and I said, it's not that I don't believe it. I said, it's not something to believe in. Yeah. And I said, uh, I think it's just foolish thinking yep. that distracts you from just focusing on the intelligent mm -hmm. life that you have, have here, including your own. I said, uh, and I said, I think it's a form of secular religion. It's like wanting the Messiah to come. Yeah. You know, because their notion is that they're always superior to us and they're they're going to be like the proper parent who teaches us or they're uh, yep. we're just food we're just food and they you know they 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 just want to eat us but mm -hmm. i said i i think it's i think it's this childlike wanting to be saved you know yeah right. anyway so so my sense is this is the toughest part of the transition we're going you know that everything's made up nobody's in charge and mm -hmm. life's not fair yep and and you want someone to be in charge and you want life to be fair and you you don't want to believe that you just have to make it all up mm -hmm. yeah i have had more response to that book than any other book yeah i i i use that all the time i give you credit and i go dan says and i've been using that even when i talk to my son you know it'll be like um you know anytime i get a rules-based argument back um or if you're dealing with a crazy person who's wants to talk about some conspiratorial something or other i'm like eh, i don't know why don't you just try this one on so i it's genius it's genius so i've one no but here, here here's the thing about it is that you're paying attention to his creation mm -hmm. and uh you know dave dave ashbury's son mm -hmm. That's the educational. That's the educational system, right? I mean, if there is an educational system, that's the educational system. And they said, "Yeah, but we want to do it for all kids." And I said, "You don't have access to all yeah, kids. You no, only no. have you only have access." As a matter of fact, I've only got direct access to one human being for seventy nine years. Yeah, yeah. That that I mean, in your got, that in your hallucination that goes along with it, right? Yeah. And, yeah. You know, yeah, that that would you would would you choose to believe and the filter you push everything through. Um so I'm gonna ask you one last question. I think you're calm about I think you're calm about this. Oh. I'm calm about this. You know, I'm calm about this. So why are we calm when we don't have a system of supporting us? I'd say we have confidence in our past. We've, we've taken ownership. Yeah. Uh but we, we we need a higher authority in charge of that yeah so let me yeah. ask you what well, you one, were asking me the question what do i see in the future yeah that's i want to project into the future and say you're you're um what's your projection three five ten years from now it could be 20 it could be whatever based upon what you've seen right now it doesn't be a, have to be based on anything what do you believe is going to happen to the educational system what not system but the possibility of what will influence more and more children in the world that we're moving towards mm. we won't know anything more about it 20 years from now than we know today no more certainty than we have today well 
<clears throat> you have certainty about certain things, don't you? Mm -hmm. I know uh, you get you avoid a lot of trouble in life if you show up on time, do what you say you're going to do, finish what you start, say please and thank you. I, I know that about ninety five percent of the trouble you can get into. I I know that. Yep. And I know everybody who tries to break those four rules gets punished for it. Yep. Fair enough. The people who pay attention to that more than any other people are entrepreneurs. Yeah, you don't do it. You don't have clients. You nope. don't show up on time. You don't have a client. Okay. Um, you don't do what you say you're going to do. You don't get a check. Okay. You don't finish what you start. You don't get any refer referrals. Okay. You don't say please and thank you. And, and everybody thinks you're a jerk. Yeah. So. Here, here's the thing. I That's think you actually system. Get, you, That's a good system. I think you actually have uh, an educational system, uh, Mike, and it's everything you learned, everything you, everything you didn't learn in school is your educational system. And when did you take ownership for your own direction in life? At what age did you? Um. No, I'm not saying yeah. you felt good about it. I'm just yeah. saying when you I, actually did. I think um, the one that I know for sure is on my 16th birthday when I could legally work, I took what became basically a full-time job. I worked at the local gas station in town, and to me it represented financial independence, never asking for a dollar from... Not, not being a burden to your parents. And and I wanted, to me, I wanted freedom. Like, my goal, as long as I can remember, is getting out of that little town and being an adult. You know, you and I have talked about that quite a bit. And me that too. was like, that's all I want to do is be an adult. And 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 I remember the day I turned 18, I felt free. And I, I used to say, I can't wait till I'm 18 because then I'm legally I'm I'm out of here. Um and that's and ba back then 18 also was when you were of legal drinking age. So it was it, there it, there was that rite of passage at least in your mind. And um and I I left home basically right away. And so I think I think though where I was really really conscious of it and I felt like it was possible was I was 14 when I taught myself how to program and I was like this is my freedom. My ticket to freedom and then 16 taking the job and that's when i had financial freedom and then at 18 when i was legally free yeah but i, I see a complete consistency be, between how you were with the job and with uh, teaching yourself how to program i see a complete consistency today mm -hmm. of uh, your basic education that served you well uh throughout throughout your life so i think uh uh, <laughs> it's um, kind of like keep freeing yourself up from other people's systems. Oh, that is the best system of all. That's the the greatest system of all. Oh my God, that is the hook for the whole show. By that the is way. the system. This the is system is to free yourself up from from other people's systems. <laughs> How's that? That is it. The greatest education education system in the world. Wait for it. Wait for it. Okay. 
Well, let's let's leave it at that because what, I think what do you think? Great... Though I think we I think we open new territory. Oh, for this a lot is good. I I mean, yeah. this is like the this is the best synthesis. I've been thinking about how to communicate this, and and I've got to know mm-hmm. by the way. So here's the the irony of it all. Next week I'm speaking at MIT on oh, AI <laughs> um, at the Media Lab, and um, and uh, for YPO. So um, the irony, of course, is I have no education. And uh, and I'm going to say that and I'm going to use this as an opening salvo. And and I've been asked to be very pro- provocative. So basically, without being a total jerk, I'm going to say our, you know, our complete educational systems are wreck. And, you know, some of the talking points I had in no, here. All, all educational systems are a wreck and there's no system. Yeah, this is great. So you just put the. No, pin. I mean MIT. Uh, I just got the Wall Street Journal tomorrow, uh, this morning, and it listed the top of uh, colleges and universities in the state, and it was the top two were Princeton and MIT. Okay. Mm. Uh, I don't know anything about Princeton, but I do know MIT. Uh, MIT has the largest number of startups when people are in their undergraduate year. Oh my God. Uh, undergraduate years of MIT. I mean, MIT is the greatest generator of startup entrepreneurial companies, I think, in, well, they have no competition. Yeah, uh, I think Stanford's got a bunch, too, on the California side. Caltech, Caltech. Caltech, yeah, but but MIT by far and going through there. So I was there with Peter, and uh, then we went and visited Dean Kamen a couple of weeks ago during the longevity trip. And I got to tell you, I walked into MIT and I'm like, I want to be here. I would love to dedicate time to incubate and work in an environment that the whole campus is designed that forces people to bump into each other. It's very like Apple did this and Microsoft did too. It's like create natural pathways to, to essentially create accidental collaborations. And yeah, no, it's that's really, it's really interesting. Uh, the exceptions to the rule I mentioned the two hands, uh, people who talked about their education, yeah, and they're all the people who either went to West Point or Annapolis, mm-hmm. okay. Because uh, if you look at the Fortune 500 corporations in the United States, the, mo- the, the most prevalent people who end up as CEOs of Fortune 500 corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's a heavy military background to a, to a lot of them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, we got Gary Clayton, you know, who's a free zone. He's a West Point graduate. Uh, yeah. You know, and, um, he talks about it a lot, but mm-hmm. it was, uh, um, they had a, they had a learning experience that gave you from the first day that you were at West Point. They obvi- they uh, always gave you twice as much stuff to do than you had time for. Yeah, and you had to make choices. Yeah, and prevent idle hands from doing the devil's work. But yes, no, you had, sure. you had to make you immediately. You had to make choices, and the people uh, who always made good choices, given the you know the available situation, just went right to the top. Mm-hmm. You know, they went to right to the top, and. Um, you know, you're going to have to get people killed off and you can't let that bother you. You got to you got to win the battle. Yeah. Regardless, you know, so um, 
I mean, I couldn't possibly be in an environment like that. You know, I would see it as a waste of my time, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, I wouldn't have gone to college except for the college that I went to, which was the reading the great books of the Western world when I like to read. But my whole takeaway from it, I think, is probably unique. From, mm. you know, and that is, um, how do you create ideas that last forever? That was my main mm. lesson. How do you create ideas that last forever? Mm-hmm. How do you write? How do you? How do you create books that people are still reading seriously two thousand five hundred years later? You know, that's all I wanted to know. I just wanted yeah. to know how you create great ideas. Yeah, I wrote an essay. I started the college newspaper and I said, you know, any of the people that we study here, none of them would come with any distance mm. they, they wouldn't get near this place because you worship great thinkers. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not the, that seems to me, that's just the opposite of what they wanted to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but I think this, that it's gaining freedom from systems is the greatest system. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's a perfect place to end this episode. And um, I'll wrap this up by saying what a bunch of breakthroughs. I took more notes uh, in this this time around. I've been typing like furiously in the background and I've got tons of great ideas. You see, I didn't even know you were doing that. You you really have a gift for not seeming like you're taking notes. Well, it's, it helps me think. And I, you know, like one thing I do, I always have a transcript running because I don't always trust what I think my brain and my ears are hearing, but I love to pay attention to the words. And when I get to type, well, it's I'm, your I'm thinking. Kinesthetic. It's actually your thinking that matters. It's not. It, you know, it is, but I, I, it's I, your I thinking about it's your thinking about your thinking that really. Yes. But my applied hallucinations are super useful. Um, so my interpretation of what I think I'm hearing are the notes I'm taking. And then I look at the words and I'm like, oh, I didn't even hear that through the thought process. And my kinesthetic brain loves the implementation because right away from here, I can use what we've done to make more cool things or hopefully to create not just ideas that last forever, but um creations that are unique um with these ideas because it's just that little nuance that you pick up and boom it's a brand new avenue that who knows if it's been explored before right the combination of timing and technology and who we are um all these original things that are being made at least that's the illusion or hallucination i choose to believe seems to me like you've created a lot of good techniques for being mike koenigs still works and i'm never bored so that's that that's the best part. Never a hey. dull moment. That's what uh, I was going to change to my title. Uh instead of CEO, I'm just going to be never a dull moment. What do you think of that? Yeah. All right. Yes. Well, this is a good place to put it in. So, as usual, wrap it up, Mike. Wrap here's it the, up. Here's the best thing you can do as our loyal listener and viewer is if you enjoyed this, share it with someone who could benefit from it and we love those five stars and those comments. Um and of course, subscribe if you're watching this on podcast. And as usual, it's always a pleasure. It's always a joy. You're one of my absolute favorite people in the whole wide world to create and collaborate with Dan Sullivan, probably the number one. Hmm. Well, it's cool. All right. And uh, yeah, um, 
neither of us knows what we're going to say next. And that's a good way to approach life. It's like throwing silverware down the stairs, a big box of silverware. So um, <laughs> that is Capability Amplifier, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.